You know, if, um, if you don't know what a gauntlet is, uh, it's kind of, kind, of, kind of interesting. If you go back to the medieval times when they had kind of hand-to-hand combat, but they, it was hand-to-sword combat or sword-to-sword combat, and they had, these, uh, uh, they had these gloves that were metal on the end that somehow you could bend, and then it had this long, uh, basically a, a longer uh, a sleeve that was open so they could still fight and they could move. And in the medieval times, it started this way that, it, that if you wanted to, and, and you've seen it translate through the generations, uh, if, if you wanted uh, to challenge someone to a duel or to a fight or something, you would take your gauntlet, literally your glove off, and you would throw it down at their feet. Now, how many of you have seen in the movies where, you know, like in Britain or something, they would slap somebody's face with the... You didn't slap somebody's face with the original gauntlet. You knocked them out is what you did, all right? So you threw it down at their feet, and uh, it was considered that was the ultimate challenge. If they were going to be a man, they would pick it up, and they would say, let's go. If they turned and walked away, that meant they were scared of you, and they literally lived in ridicule and in your shadow, basically, uh, as your grunt for the rest of their life. And so there were times that you would throw down a gauntlet on somebody. I'd throw it down uh, on Ron. Ron's right down here. I'd throw the gauntlet down in front of Ron, and, and just like Ron would do, he'd be scared of me, right? <laughs> and uh, he'd turn around and walk away. That means for the rest of our time and season of a relationship together, I could say, Ron, could you go get me some coffee? And he'd have to go get me some coffee. And if he didn't, everybody who had seen me throw down the gauntlet in front of him, would remind him, dude, you've already, you might as well go get the coffee. All right. Yeah, no, I'm good with coffee. Thanks. I got my, but appreciate your, uh, uh, appreciate you playing along. I will take one of those kolaches. Uh, but then over the years, what would happen is when people, uh, we got a little more agile in our, in our, uh, in our military garb, uh, it changed to more of just a long, uh, just a long leather glove or something like that. You would throw it down, and then it then it changed into slapping somebody in the face with it. That's that's one way. That's the original way. If you go read the history of the gauntlet, that's what it was. Basically, man, if you and somebody had some business that you you took and you threw your gauntlet down, and if they if they picked it up, that meant they were on. That it was a fight. And uh, you, they'd give it back to you, and you'd pull out your swords, and you'd go after it. Um, if they walked away, if they walked away, man, they were yours basically the rest of your life. You owned them. They knew that they didn't want any business. You know, there's also something we call a running the gauntlet. Anybody ever heard of that? Y'all know what that is? Uh, it's, it's really where you, uh, it, you can't do it anymore in colleges. It's called hazing is basically what it is. You get uh, men on one side, men on the other side, and you have to run through, and they'll beat you with clubs or whatever it is like that. And there are times that you and I feel like um, that we have to run the gauntlet. Uh, that we have to we have to run through and it just some of you may feel that way at the office right now uh, There have been times man. Just just try working with Justin uh, Walk through the office and he's hitting me and slapping Mira. There are some of you um, As we think about those two different ways that the gauntlet is used there there are some of you that um, Man, it just seems like every time you you wake up every time you leave the house that Satan just throws down the gauntlet in front of you and, and you just got to fight for your existence. You got to fight to breathe. You got to fight to stay employed. You got to fight to save your marriage. You got to fight to save your kids. And the truth is, if we turn and we tuck tail and we run, um, 
you know, that's not ultimately going to solve the problem because guess what? If you give in, whatever you do, the next day you wake up, same issues going to be there. Same struggles going to be there. The only thing you can do at some point is turn and fight and stand and fight. And we're going to talk about that through the next couple. Of, there are other times that it's not even a fight. It's just like every time you open the door, every time you head off to the office in your relationships, it's like, it seems like someone is taking a swipe at you. Someone is stabbing you in the back. Someone is, is, is sw taking a swing at you. And, and there are times that you and I feel that way. And uh, man, none of those seasons are easy. And so I want to talk today. The first one I want to talk about is I want to talk about we want to throw that throw down the gauntlet against faithlessness. Um, that uh, that we're going to have faith in God. And the illustration I'm going to use, if you're already at First Samuel chapter 17, it's David and Goliath. Uh, it's David and Goliath, and I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts on the story. I'm going to read you through it, and hopefully, it, it will encourage you. You know, now if you think about the, the first two kings in Israel, uh, the first king was a guy named Saul. Uh, Saul was head and shoulders. If you if you heard and remember when uh, when Saul was elected king, it said he was head and shoulders against other uh, above other men. He was handsome. He was strong looking. I mean, he looked the part of a king. They said we want a king. God says, give them a king. Samuel, who was a prophet, prophet at the time, says, man, they've rejected me. God says, no, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. And so God said, give them a king. And He gives them a king. gives them a guy named Saul. And he looked the part. I mean, if you were to walk in a room, Saul was the guy you would look at. And you'd say, he's our king. But there are times you journey through Saul's life and he was a mess. I mean, there were times he was hiding in the luggage. There were times that he was, he was tucking tail. He was running from the enemy. He was leading the children of Israel uh, in the wrong direction, in the wrong way. He was never leading them towards uh, stronger faith in God, but always away from a faith in God. Uh, there were times that he was communicating with sorcerers and witches. There were other times that he was taking the, the priestly function in his own hand or the prophetic function in his own hand. He would get caught red-handed. Literally, he would get caught red-handed in sin and he would look the man of God in the eye and he would lie. I mean, and he still got, uh, you know, blood on his hands. He still got the chocolate on his mouth where he had been, he had been uh, eaten of the sinful fruit. And he'd look him right in the eye and he would lie. But then after that, after God rejected Saul, God said, I want to bring another king. I want to bring the kind of king that I want the people to have. And guess what? There's a guy named David. And if you remember, not only was David not the tallest guy in all of Israel, and he wasn't the most handsome in all of Israel, he wasn't even the most likely to be king in his own family. And maybe there's some of you that are like this, and, and, and you've got an older brother or a younger brother or an older sister or a younger sister that they seem to have got all the smarts and all the looks and all the wisdom. They got everything, and you just kind of feel like you're constantly living in the shadow of your siblings. I want you to know if you'll add a little effort, if you'll add a little energy, if you'll, if, 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 you'll, if you'll trust God and you'll be faithful to God, He'll use you. And the man of God went to Jesse's house looking for a new king, a real king, the kind of king that God wanted. And so Samuel went in and he said, hey, God's rejected Saul and God has told me, Jesse, Jesse was the father of David, I, I'm supposed to come to you and I'm supposed to choose a king from among your sons. 
And immediately, Jesse, the father, the loving father, said, man, I got a couple great options for you. And if you remember the story, he walked the oldest son in and God rejected him, walked another son in and God rejected him, got walked another son, God rejected him all the way down the line. And basically, man, Jesse's sitting there going, man, I, apparently you went to the wrong address. You were supposed to be over there because that's pretty much all the kingly kids I have. What is he? he says, you don't have any more. He says, you know, I got, I got the runt of the litter. And, and he's out there on the, on, the, on the back side of the wilderness. He's just hanging out with his sheep. Because that's pretty much about all he can do. And boy, the prophet said, bring him in here. God said, that's the guy. He doesn't look the part. He doesn't seem like the part. He wasn't his dad's first choice. He probably wouldn't have been Israel's first choice. And God said, this is the guy. Guys, there's some of y'all in this room that you have felt like a spiritual runt for a long time. You feel like your siblings have passed you by or, 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 or maybe church has forgotten about you. you. You've blown it in the past. You've struggled a long way. I want you to know part of God's plan for you is to take you out of the backside of the desert where you are hiding from people spiritually and put you front and center. I believe that in 2019. If you've, if you've been around our church uh, a lot, you know that we're a place of grace. And regardless of where you've been or what you've done, God's got a place for you in His kingdom. Some of you, only your testimony, not my testimony as a pastor. I can't sit in front of another guy and tell him about my testimony and it matter, but you can. Because you've been and you've walked in some places and some spaces and you've worked in some places and some spaces that some other guys have that I can't connect with and nobody else in this room can. But it's going to take you adding some effort and letting God do a serious work in your life. And so this young guy, David, you know, he followed Saul. If you know, if you know the story, almost immediately uh, something impressive happens. He's just serving his dad. And, and all of a sudden, the Philistines and the Israelites are going to battle, which they did a lot, right? Now, part of that was a sinfulness. Remember, the children of Israel were supposed to go into the promised land and drive all the enemies out. But they didn't do that. They went about halfway. Isn't that kind of the way we do it in life? Uh, man, I, you know, we go about halfway and driving out the enemies in our life and getting rid of the enemies in our life. And, and so they go about halfway, which means the Philistines and the enemies are always right there. And this is one of those times in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17 that, that we see the children of Israel, basically the army of the Israelites against the army of the Philistines. And there's, there's this valley in between. And this big, massive giant from the Philistines named Goliath. Every day he walks out and he begins to mock to the children of Israel and basically throws down the gauntlet. And he says, just give me one man. Just give me one man in your whole army. Find me one dude that will come out and fight. And basically, Goliath is saying this, and you can read it in the context. I won't spend a lot of time. He's basically saying there's no reason for our, our army to fight your army. Let's just go mano a mano. One-on-one. Man, if, if your guy beats me, we'll serve you. If our guy beats you, 
man, you know, y'all serve us. And that's what Goliath does day after day after day after day. And if you can picture this, uh, this valley with the children of Israel and their army on one side and the Philistines and their army on the other side, and, and, and Goliath basically walks down in the middle. Every day he mocks them. Well, guess where David was during this time? He was still back in the wilderness. He's back at his dad's house. Why? Because when Saul called all the warriors together, his dad sent off the other brothers. Because David was the least likely to be a hero. And that's what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, that his dad said, hey, why don't you at least take some donuts and kolaches and a little food to your brothers because they're sitting up there and, you know, and they're getting ready to fight and we want them well nourished. And that's kind of where we come to. So let me give you a couple of, um, of thoughts as we journey through here. And uh, as we pick it up reading in verse 1, you, if you want to take some notes, uh, write this down first. Giants... Giants are a universal problem. Every one of us has one. I, I want you to know, guys, I've got some giants in my life that I have to fight every day. If you have this, uh, this suspicion or this feeling or this sense that uh, the pastor just has it all together, every day he doesn't have to wake up and fight something or battle something. There aren't people that he had to deal with. He has to deal with, I mean, just look, I work with Justin every day. He's just, you know what I have noticed in my, in my staff? Every guy in, on my staff is about five inches taller than me. And I've got to do a better job. That's why I hired Caleb. How many of y'all know Caleb? <laughs> Caleb, little four foot eight, knucklehead, walked into my... First time I saw, I said, you're hired. He says, well, what am I going to do? I said, that doesn't matter. I just said, I want to be able to talk down to someone. I look at Justin, I look at Scott, I look at Keith Tyler. I, I mean, I just, I just wanted a short dude on my staff. That's all. So if you wonder, what does Caleb do? He's just a token short guy. All right? That's all he is. He's just a short guy. And, uh, you know, he, how many of you have seen he's got some muscles? Well, that's not hard when all you got to do is fill this much of a gap with muscle. So, uh, you know, so. But the reality of it is, guys, if you sit here, and my guess is there are some of you. You could probably look at other guys in your life group or other guys in church or even other guys in the office and you think, man, they don't fight anything. I want you to know giants are a universal problem. I have been shocked. And, and, and this is in a good reminder way. I have been shocked from, from time to time that some of the people in the church that I've known for three or four or five or six years, and they look as well, well put together as anyone, that all of a sudden I'll get an email or a phone call, hey, could, could I catch lunch with you? And they just dump this, low, this giant on me. Does that make sense? And I'm, for all practical purposes, I guarantee you everybody that looked at them thought, these guys have it all together. They got no problems. And they do. And so I want you to know, first thought I want you to hear today, giants are a universal problem. And, and, and one of the best things we can do in the church is be honest and real about our problems. 
Now, I also want you to know, I don't, I don't want you to deal with your, your problems, whatever your giant is, in a codependent way, where you kind of carry it along and you shine it up and you, you brag about your problem, but you need to be open and honest about it. Does that make sense? As we fight it, as we deal with it. Pick it up. Notice what it says as we look in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces uh, for war and ascended, uh, assembled them. Uh, they pitched a camp, a camp. They put their camp up. And then if you jump to verse 2, it says, Saul and the Israelites assembled their camp and drew up battle lines between the Philistines. Verse 3, it says, The Philistines uh, occupied one hill and the Israelites occupied another with a valley down in between them. And now I'm in verse, uh, verse 4. It says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, uh, came down to the Philistine camp and he, he began to talk to them. Uh, as we think about... Uh, you know, some doubt and some struggles and some giants. I love what John Calvin said one time. He said, surely we cannot imagine any certainty in our lives. This is John Calvin, even in our Christian lives, that is not tinged with some sort of doubt or tinted with some sort of doubt. And so if you are here today and you're holding some sort of doubt, you feel like, man, there, there's a Philistine of doubt or there's a champion of doubt in my life. Man, that's exactly what it was. John Calvin, of all people, he says, man, even in our strongest moment, there's always a sense of doubt. And that's what the children of Israel had. They're sitting here, they're camped on one side, they got the champion, and then ultimately Goliath on the other side. They doubt if they can win. They doubt if they can overcome the battle. And so now as we just continue to read, pick it up in verse 4. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out to the Philistine camps, and he was over nine feet tall. Basically, that's the translation. Uh, in other words, he was a big dude. He was a, he was a bad dude. So here's your next thought. Not only are giants universal, giants are giant. All right? They're big. And, and this is what I've come to know in, in, in spending time with guys there are some tough dudes that I know that, that depression takes them out. I mean, it, it just, it'll put them on their back. There's some, there's some guys that I know that are very well put together that some sort of addiction, whether it's alcohol or, or, or something else, man, just, just wears them out. There's some guys that I know that are fa facing some giants of some health problems that they're going through some sort of struggles. And giants are big. And, you know, a lot of times I think we can, we can sometimes have a tendency, and this is where I want to encourage us as guys as we look at others, sometimes we can, we can have a tendency to minimize our giants and basically look at someone else's giants. Or we maximize our giants and we say someone else has a small giant. Hey, how does he struggle with depression? You know, just, just stop drinking. Just stop doing this. Just stop doing that. Guys, let me tell you what. If it is in your life and it is what Satan is using to go after you, I want to acknowledge the reality that that giant in your life is real. And it's big. And that's what we end up saying. He says he's a champion, man. He wears other people out. Then look at verse 5. It says he had, bron he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat um, uh, of scaled armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and, bronze, and he had a bronze javelin. And uh, then he said he slung it over his shoulder and on his back. 
His spear, his shaft, was like the weaver's rod, and its iron point, uh, and its iron point was weighted to 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went on ahead of him. In other words, holding it up. And um, then look at verse 8. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. He says, why do you come out of your line to battle? He says, I, am I not a Philistine? He says, man, come on out. He says, and are you not the servants of Saul? Who's he calling out? He's calling out their tall, strong, handsome king. All right. He said, aren't you guys the servants of Saul? He goes, I heard he was a pretty bad dude. Back in the day, he was a pretty impressive guy. He says, choose a man and have him come down to me. It says, if he's able to fight me and kill me, we will become your servants. We will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and you will ultimately serve us. Then notice what he says. Then the Philistine said again, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. What are those next four words? He says, give me a man. Give me a man. And that's really the challenge as we begin today. Is God wants a man. Some of you in here that, that, that you're married, your wife needs a man. Your kids need a man. You know, we hear a lot of conversation, a lot of talk these days about toxic this and toxic that and toxic masculinity. And hey, there is some, something called toxic masculinity. But let me tell you what, guys, God created us men. We don't back away from that fact. Woven within our DNA is God's call on our life to be men, to be masculine, to be strong, to, be, to walk with convictions, to lead our families, to lead our kids, to not back down, and to sometimes, guys, fight. And there is nothing wrong with that because God built us for battle. God arrayed us for battle. He equipped us in such a way that physiologically we can add more muscle than ladies can. Now, I've seen some ladies that I don't mess with. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. I just don't think they fight fair. I've seen them. But guys, God, God equipped us physiologically to put on more muscle mass than ladies. That's just who we are. But there's also... The same call on us spiritually. God has equipped a man to put on more spiritual mass and spiritual muscle than a woman. Now, there is a reality I've noticed, and so have you. Many times it's the wife that is way more spiritually mature and way more spiritually strong than the husband. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is where we're just being on. They're not in here looking, guys. You can raise your hand. All right? But that, although that may be the reality of the way it is, that doesn't have to be the way it is. And I think it's interesting. If you look in this, man, the Philistine comes out and says, give me a man. Give me a man. If something is going to change in your house, if something's going to change in your office, something's going to change in your life group or in this community, it's going to be because a man stands up. It's going to be because a man stands up. And let me tell you what, that man that stands up, maybe a guy sitting in there right now that you say, Pastor, 
If you knew the struggles I had in my life, you would know that God could never use me. And I want you to know that's not true. I do believe that there are guys in here that Satan's thrown down the gauntlet in your life and you fell and you struggle and you've fallen. And, and there have been times at the beginning of the year in January that you stood up and said this is going to be a different year spiritually or it's going to be a different year uh, physically or it's going to be a different year relationally. And sure enough, by mid-January, end of January, the spiritual fervor and the spiritual fire has gone away. And all I can say is your pastor, join the club. I've made many of those New Year's resolutions, and I've failed at just as many. And the reality of it is God wants a man to stand up. God wants 10 men to stand up. God wants 20 men to stand up. Even if you're still in the midst of the battle, if you feel like, man, I am just now beginning to fight this battle. I'm just now beginning to deal with my demons. Man, God says, give me a man. Give me a man. And I just love that thought. He says, give me a man and let us fight each other. And then you jump down to verse 11. It says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were, they were, ter they were terrified. And man, they were fearful. And as you think about it, and giants cripple even the greatest of us. Everyone in this room is prone to be crippled. And then you jump down, if, if you jump down to verse 23, it says, As he was talking with them, this is talking about David. Go back to verse 22. It says, David left his things uh, with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. He said, hey brothers, in other words, he was bringing food from his dad. Uh, verse 23, it says, As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, the champion of Gath, uh, stepped out from his lines and began to shout his defiance, his usual defiance, and David heard it. All of a sudden, this guy that didn't look fit to be a king, this guy that when, they, when Saul said, hey, let's send all the men to battle, even his dad said, David, you probably just need to tend the sheep. You're not much of a fighter. But all of a sudden, David heard it. So if you think about this, this idea that... The Philistine is saying, give me a man. Satan's saying, give me the man. And all of a sudden, David, this little shepherd boy that wasn't even number one, the number one choice in all his family to be the king, heard it. My prayer this first morning as we talk about throwing down the gauntlet is that there are some men in here who will hear the call. That you will, you will hear it. And that you will right now begin to say, you know what, this is going to be a different year. This is going to be a new year. I'm going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to be in a space and a place where God can count on me. The church can count on me. My wife can count on me. My kids can count on me. You know, am I going to blow it? Hey, trust me, guys, everyone in here, you're going to blow it before the year's over. Many of you before the day's over. Right? And so giants are universal. Giants are big. And giants can cripple the best of us. But if you jump on down, let me give you a couple of thoughts on this as we just work through picking it up in verse uh, 26. Um, when you step up, and I've been here, and you may have been here, when you step up to fight, others are going to doubt you. Others are going to doubt you. There, there might be some guys in here that you haven't been the best husband that your wife needs, and if you go home and you look her in the eye, and you say, this is going to be a new year and a new me, and she may question it. 
she may look you in the eye and say, I've heard that before. Right? Your kids, you might look in your kids' eyes and say, guys, you know, I talk about it all the time, but I want to be honest with you. I haven't quite been the father that I want to be, but I'm going to start. Your kids may look at you and say, I've heard that before. You might walk into a friend or a boss or someone else that knows you've been struggling with a certain thing and, and you tell them this time is going to be different and they may doubt you. So David, here's, here's Goliath uh, and he, he's willing to step up. And so notice what happens in verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man? Now, it's okay to get paid for your work, all right? So guys, I want you to know that. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from all of Israel? And he says, uh, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, if you jump down to verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger with them and asked, what have you come down here to do? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Dude, what does his brother just do? He threw down the gauntlet. Anybody have anybody like that? Anybody have a brother like that? Man, not only will he stab you in the back, he'll twist the knife. And so what was he saying? You know, he's saying, man, I've been up here on the battle lines for months now. And you've been out with your little sheep. He says, now, nah, who'd you leave your sheep with? You know, little mama's boy, right? That's exactly what he's saying. He goes, where'd your little sheep go? What is, what is he doing? He's trying to cut him down. And there is a reality that there are going to be others that doubt us. There are going to be others that try to put us in our place. As you try to rise up and be what God wants you to be, there's go Satan might be the first person to do it, right? Anybody ever had that? Man, you begin to walk in your faith and... and, and and the conversation that David just had with his older brother is a conversation you have in your mind, right? I don't deserve this. Man, if anybody ever said this, if they only knew, they only knew. I had that conversation all the time. If y'all only knew how bad of a pastor I really was, I wouldn't have this job. I'd have a different gig, you know? If you only knew that I couldn't preach or I couldn't teach or I couldn't talk. Man, I have those conversations all the time. You might have those same conversations. Man, God can't use me. And others will try to put you in your place. And all you got to do is be faithful. See, and that's the one thing that David had on his, on his side is it says David was a man after God's own heart. And that is the one thing, if you want to know the one thing that drives me, it's not that I'm perfect or not that I'm great, it's that I have a great sense and a great desire and a great heartbeat each and every day and each and every week as your pastor to have a heart for God. To say, God, just lead me and show me and teach me. And man, and if guys, if you are going to begin to make a journey and begin to read your Bible and begin to be open about your faith, someone is going to try to put you in your place. Someone's going to try to remind you of those little sheep called your sin or your sheep called your past failures or your sheep called your current or present addiction or maybe a previous marriage that blew up. It's going to do all of those things. I'm going to remind you, and you cannot be deterred 
from going and facing the giant. So now as we jump back in, Elijah, his oldest brother, what did he say? He heard him speaking with the men and he burned with anger with them. And he asked him, where did you put your little sheep? Where did you go? Are they back in the desert? And then if you jump down to verse 29, he says, David says, now what have I done? Can I just simply speak? What David, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistines. I love this. David said, let no one lose heart. They already had, right? There was a reason why uh, the Philistine was going out every day, and he was mocking him. He was laughing at him. And he says, let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Look at verse 33. And Saul replied, uh, you're not able to go against that Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fighting. He has been fighting man from the days of his youth. Man, others are going to doubt you. Now jump down to verse 37, no, uh, 38. Let's pick it up and read it in verse 38. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword and over his tunic and tried walking around because he was, uh, he was not used to them. In other words, what, what, was, that, what was that cartoon character? Everybody remember the cartoon character that used to have all the big stuff? Who was he? Some, I see some guys going... Yeah, he looked like that, right? He had too much stuff on? I don't know. Uh, but notice what happened. Here's the next thought. You ready? Here's the next, a spiritual giant. Here's the next one. All right. Here's the next thought. You can't use someone else's armor. You can't use someone else's armor. If you were going to fight. Guys, if you grew up with a godly dad, that's awesome. But you can't fight today in his armor. If you grew up with a godly mom, that's awesome. But you can't fight in your mom's armor. That would be a little weird. If you've got a godly brother or sister, or you've got a legacy, you can't fight in someone else's armor. You say, why? Maybe because God has created each and every one of us a little different. We each have different talents and different abilities and different skills and different spiritual gifts. We've all got something different. You've got to fight in your armor. You've got to put on the armor that God has given you. And yours is going to look a little, look a little different than mine. And it's going to look a little different than someone else's at your table. It's going to look different. You've got to fight with the things that God has given you. Now, if you just continue to read on, uh, he, he, said, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them, I can't, take, I can't use them. Uh, if you jump down, he says, so he cannot, cannot go out into these. And he took them off. Then if you look in verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones uh, from the stream, put them into the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and then what did he do? He, and with his sling in his hand, he began to approach the Philistine. What did David take? He take, took the stuff he knew. He took what he had. Got it. Here's my point, guys. As you think about throwing down the gauntlet, some of you think, you know what, I may need to spend the next three years in seminary. Hey, you may need to get smarter, but God wants to use what you already have. 
Some of you guys have talents and skills and, 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 and things that are going on in your life and abilities uh, that, that God needs in His kingdom. You've just got to be willing to bring them. For David, he had a sling, stone, staff. And he was ready to go. Some of you have a sling, a stone, and a staff. That's all God needs to make you successful. The question is not... Now listen, there were a bunch of guys in the Israel army who had they been willing to have the faith, God would have blessed them too, right? I want you to know, it wasn't just David. David was the only one that was willing to step up. God today is just saying, are there some men in this room that are willing to step up? Now as you continue to read on... Um, Pick it up in verse uh, 36. Uh, David approaches Philistine. He approached the Philistine. Jump down to verse 36. He says, your servant, and, and the Philistine kind of mocked him, kind of laughed at him. He says, your servant uh, has killed both lion and the bear, and, the un, and this uncircumcised uh, Philistine will be just like one of them. Uh, because he has divided the armies of God. Look at verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistines, uh, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Look at verse 32. He looked David over. He sized him up, right? Anybody ever done that? He sized him up. He, he said, this is going to be a short fight. All right? This isn't going to last long. He looked him over, and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome in appearance, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with your little sticks and your sling? And the Philistine cursed David and his God. And he says, Come here, I'll give your flesh this day to the birds and the eat. Uh, David said to the Philistine, verse 45, turned around. He says, You come against me with sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And the God of our armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. I love that. David kind of looks at him. I'm going to cut your head off and spit down your throat. <laughs> and I mean, that, this, this, is a, this is a bold talk. This is bold talk. Man, I can think of some times in John Wayne movies, man. Anybody ever remember their John Wayne movies? Oh, what was that one where he was on the field? Huh? True Grit. Yeah, Rooster Cogburn. That, that wasn't it. You were wrong, Bob. You're not going to heaven. Uh, how many remember True Grit? And they're, 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 they're on, the, on, the, on the field, and he's on one side, and they're on the other side. And uh, man, these young kids are mocking him and laughing at him and stuff like that. And uh, he said, prepare to die or something. They said, that's some, you know, that's some big talk for a one-eyed fat man, right? And he, he rolls across that field and shoots them up. John Wayne was awesome. All right, just be John Wayne. That's the whole point of this whole story. But the point is, David, David said, I'm about to cut your head off and spit down your throat. Guys, there are some times then we need to stand up and have some bold talk. Some bold talk. Some of you might need to look at the guy next to you after you leave, know you've been struggling, and say, you know what, I'm done hiding up in the, with the army. I'm ready to go get on the battlefield. I'm, I, some of you need to be open and honest. I, I am sick of getting beaten up with alcohol. I am sick of letting this passion ruin my life. I'm sick of not being able to control my anger.
man, and we got to have some bold talk from time to time. And that's exactly uh, what, he's, what he did. And he says, all those gathered here. Now, I love it. David said, and not, not only am I going to cut, cut off your head and I'm going to spit down your throat, but all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword of the spear that saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give, it, give, give you into my hands. Now, look at verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer and to attack David, David ran quickly toward him to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, what he had, take out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell face down. All right? Now, so he goes down, he kills him. How many of you know what happens next? Remember, there were the children of Israel on one side and the Philistines were on the other side. As soon as he killed him, cut off his head, what did they do? The whole army advanced. Guys, when you get a victory, don't retreat. I think there are a lot of times, guys, and this is my final point to you today, there are a lot of times that a lot of men, and I've been there, in January of the new year, we go get a victory. For some of y'all, just being up at a 6 o'clock Bible study is a small victory. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and you get a victory. And you get content. And you drift back. You go back up on your mountain and you hide. What happens here is he kills the Philistine. Then he looks at the children of Israel and said, let's go. And it says the rest of that day and into the next day, they begin to rout the Philistines. Guys, when God gives you a victory, you throw down the gauntlet of I'm not going to be faithless anymore. And that's what this is. I'm going to have faith. When God gives you your first victory, and I believe He will quickly, keep advancing. Say, I'm going to have another one next Tuesday morning. I'm going to have another one this Sunday morning. I'm going to sign up for this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to find a life group. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of that. Don't ever take a victory without taking a victory lap in your faith. See, because in the faith, one victory leads to another victory leads to another victory. If we are willing to advance. I want to invite you just to bow your heads there where you are. And I just want to pray over you. Father, my prayer today over these guys as they journey to the office and back to their world and their relationships and everything that's going on, I pray today that these guys in this room would throw down the gauntlet on faithlessness. God, there is no doubt in my mind that probably every guy in this room, when I started talking about a giant, every guy in this room has one thing they thought of. Maybe it's a financial giant, or it's a relational or marriage gi marital giant, or maybe it's a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad, or maybe it's you know job, finance, whatever. Every an addiction. Every guy in this room has a giant. I pray today that they would make a decision not to wear someone else's armor, not to listen to people who doubt them, but by faith and with courage they would step out into the field 
of battle. They would take what they have and they would let you use what they have for your glory, for your kingdom. God, I pray that every man in this room today would experience a victory. God, we're men. We need victories. So God, my prayer today is that every one of these men would experience at least a small victory today and some of them would experience a large one. And God, when you give them that victory, remind them that it's time to advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day.